So Romans 8, starting at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Thanks, Sarah. Well, good morning. And what are you waiting for? What is the big thing at the top of your most wanted list at the moment? I think, potentially for my wife Katie, it's for me to finally get round to doing all the jobs I've promised to do this summer. My son Jacob is desperate for me to take him on a train ride when the strikes are over. But what are you waiting for? For some of us, it might be a holiday, or to see friends or family, for a new job to start. Some Some of us in our church family are waiting to meet precious new babies. Some of our young people are waiting for exam results over the next week or two. Some of us may be waiting for a medical test or results or a diagnosis or an operation. Some of us may be waiting for the darkness to end and the mental health crisis to to ease. Some of us may be waiting for a bad relationship to heal, for forgiveness and a second chance. Some of us might be looking at the world around us and wondering when things are going to change, when the people with the power to change things are finally going to do something. At the Unite camp a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of meeting some young Ukrainian teenagers who are waiting for the war to end so that they can go back home. It doesn't take too much looking around to know that we live in a broken world, don't we? A a world where there are moments of joy, yes, but there is a huge amount of sorrow and suffering. From wars and coups, famine and drought, wildfires to poverty, mental health breakdown, relationship breakdown, illness, death is everywhere around us. Life in our world is hard today, and life in our world was hard nearly 2,000 years ago for the church in Rome. We're in the middle of our Roman series uh, in the chapter 8, seeing how incredible God is, how he has transformed the lives of Christians, 
those of us who have put their trust in Jesus. We've seen that there is no condemnation. When the judgment comes, there will be no case to answer. We've seen that we have God's Spirit leading us, living in our lives, enabling us to please God, even when we know we're far from perfect. And last week, we saw the incredible truths that when we trust in Jesus, we have been adopted by God as his children. We have the status as brothers of Jesus, co-heirs with him, and we will get to share in his glory. It truly is an incredible picture of how wonderful life trusting Jesus is, isn't it? But the end of verse 17 last week, we saw these words that are on the screen from verse 17. Paul said, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We live in a broken world. Life is tough. And we've just seen that trusting Jesus, if we're trusting Jesus, then we're signing up to following in the path of our crucified Savior. As Paul puts it, we will share in Christ's sufferings. I don't know how you're faring at the moment. The struggles of living in our broken world are real and they are hard. Adding to that the sufferings of following our crucified Savior, the additional sufferings of being known as a Christian, a very legitimate question springs up at this stage. Is it worth it? Is it worth following Christ if it makes our lives harder? Is it worth following Christ if it causes damage to our careers, our jobs? Is it worth following Christ if it's going to bring damage and harm to our families or our health? It's an important question for us to be clear about this morning, isn't it? Because when suffering comes, and it will come, if we're not clear that it's worth it to keep on going, then we'll be tempted to turn it back. We'll be tempted to give up and turn our backs on Christ. Well, Paul, Paul wants to change that story. He wants us to see our suffering in its cosmic context, to reshape our thinking, to see that the fact that we do suffer now points us on to the glory to come. Far from threatening our salvation, suffering should make us more sure of our future glory. And we know that because no sooner has Paul said, verse 17, he makes an even bolder statement in our passage today in verse 18. A bold statement. Did you see it? Have a look down at verse 18 with me. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That is a big, bold statement, isn't it? Our present sufferings, no matter how large, no matter how deep, no matter how hard they are, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. How can, how can Paul say that? Does he know the suffering that we're going through? Does he know the pain and hardships that we might be enduring right now? The trials we'll face as we follow Jesus. 
Well, as Paul says, he has considered it. He has given it great thought. He has weighed it up and he has come to see that the wondrous glory that we've been seeing in Romans so far means the scales are so firmly stacked in God's favor that our sufferings, no matter how hard, no matter how deep they are, they won't even register on the scales. They are not worth comparing to the glory to come. And it's important to know that Paul is very familiar with how hard life in this world is. If you read 2 Corinthians 11, you'll see the suffering that he endured. He faced stoning, beating, flogging, shipwreck. He was in danger from his own people. He was in danger from his enemies. He was in danger everywhere he went. Paul knows what it is to suffer. So we know when he says that he is not making light of our suffering. I know, and more importantly, God knows personally the deep trials and hardships many of us in our church family are facing. He knows our pain. He knows the path we walk in, the struggles we face, whether they be physical, mental, spiritual. God knows them. He cares for us in them. But as Paul's statement helps us see, he wants us to lift our eyes above them. It's not that our suffering is small. It's the glory to come is so great, so brilliant. Paul's already shown us that, hasn't he? If we trust in Jesus, we have been brought from death to life, from condemned to free, from slaves to sons of God and co-heirs with Christ. He has taken people who deserve nothing but condemnation, death and destruction and raised us up to life with him. In adopting us as his sons, he has shared with us his glory, shared with us his riches, shared with us his rule, shared with us the whole world. All that belongs to Jesus belongs to us. What a glorious future. But Paul knows that future promises are hard to weigh against present sufferings. And so in the rest of our passage and on into next week's passage, Paul's going to seek to grow our confidence and assurance in that future. He's going to help us to see what is really going on now and how everything is pointing us forwards, showing us how great the glory to come truly is as we see that creation, Christians and God himself are all longing for the day when the suffering stops and glory begins. And his first proof he turns to is creation. As we see, creation groans for us to be glorified. Paul's first evidence to help us is creation. The whole created order, that is. Everything created by God is waiting for us, waiting for humans. Have a look at verse 19. He says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Creation is waiting. And not just any waiting, eagerly waiting, expecting, longing. A couple of months we saw a little picture of this as a nation, didn't we? As a whole nation and much of the world stopped to watch the crowning of King Charles III. The streets in London were packed. Millions of people lined the streets, eagerly longing to get a glimpse of their new king. 
and the royal family. That's the sense of this waiting, eagerly craning their necks. But what is creation waiting for? Well, it's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Paul's already shown us who they are, hasn't he? Back in verse 16, he said that the sons of God are those who he has adopted into sonship. Everyone who has put their trust in the saving work of Christ. Creation is waiting for Christians. And creation is waiting for us to be revealed. That is for us to be seen for the glorious sons and daughters of God that we really are. Because in our world of suffering right now, there can be little obvious to set the Christian apart, can there? The Christian life will rarely look glorious. As Christians follow our crucified Saviour, we'll often suffer more than the world around us. We'll often look weaker than the world around us. We'll often look small. We'll often look far from glorious. But as we've been seeing in Romans, the complete opposite is true. If we're trusting God, then we share in his glory. When God looks at us, that's what he sees. He sees his children. And creation is longing for the day to come when our glorious state will be truly evident to everyone as we share in the day of God's glory. For the day when we will be seen for who we truly are. But why does creation care so much? What's creation's stake in that day of glory? Well, have a look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the children of God. Creation is waiting for us to be glorified because on that day, it will be set free. But set free from what? Well, creation, Paul says, has been subjected to frustration, subjected to futility, deliberately stopped from being able to play the role in declaring God's glory that it was made for. Why? Well, when Adam and Eve turned their backs on God, when they broke his good law, then they brought all of creation down with them. Because we were made to rule creation under God, weren't we? To care for it, to steward it, to tend it under God's rule. And when we sinned, we broke our relationship with God. But we also broke our relationship with the creation. I've put Genesis 3:17 on the screen, where he says, "To Adam, he said, "Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. The whole of creation has been subjected to the curse because of our sin. And creation's done nothing wrong. 
Paul said back in Romans 8, verse 20, creation didn't choose this. Creation wasn't to blame, but God placed it under a curse in order for us to have a broken world to live in as broken people. The price for not wiping mankind out right there and then in the Garden of Eden when we fell, when we sinned, the price was to break the whole world, to give us an imperfect world to live in as imperfect people. While God worked to bring about his perfect plan to bring us to glory with him. And we see the evidence of that curse all around us, don't we? The Garden of Eden was a place of plenty and beauty. But our world is one of painful toil and hardships. I know in my own garden this year, my lupins have been devoured by green fly. My sprouts have been eaten by butterflies. My fruit trees suffered because of the droughts and and they were stressed by the heat we had in June and I've discovered this week that my agapanthus has drowned to death because of all the rain we've had the last month. Already we've had warnings from farmers that the weather this year is again going to complicate the harvest. All of our wonderful technology, our inventions, our ingenuity, our improved techniques can't get away from the fact that simply getting food in our world is so, so tough. And it's not just farming. All work has become toil and hardship. Nothing will satisfy us. Clothes will wear out. Bananas will turn black. Metal will rust. Our bodies will grow old and die. Creation is broken. It's corrupted. It can't display God's glory the way that it was made to because we've stopped ruling it the way we were meant to. In a way, the ecologists, the green wing, have got it right. It is all mankind's fault that our world is broken. But the problems of our world run far, far deeper than they realize. And creation cannot provide the solutions to the problem. This isn't a problem that can be solved by just stopping oil or all turning to a vegan diet. It can't be fixed by solar panels or wind farms or turning down the thermostat or all all driving electric cars. None of those ideas will fix our broken world. Our creation cannot fix ourselves. And when when faced with our broken worlds, we should not despair. Instead, we should take our lead from creation, join the creation in waiting with eager expectation. Because it knows the curse won't last forever. Did you see that in verse 20 in chapter 8? Do you see why God cursed the world? He did it in hope. In hope. God put creation under the curse in hope that it would not be forever. He did it because it was the only way that he would have a people to share his glory with. That is a mind-blowing thought, isn't it? God wants a relationship with us so much that he brought the whole universe under a curse in order for us to be redeemed by Jesus. And that's creation's great hope. It knows that its curse is not forever. And it is eagerly longing for the day when we will be revealed as God's children. The day when the curse will be lifted and it will be set free from its bondage to decay. It will be released 
to once again be the theatre of God's praises that it was created to be. The freedom and glory of the children of God is the freedom that creation will enjoy when it is once again ruled by the redeemed sons of God. When once again it will be ruled rightly, stewarded, cared for as we rule it under God alongside Jesus. Creation knows that that day is coming. It yearned for that great day and so it groans in hope. Do you see that in verse 22? We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The creation is groaning and it's been groaning ever since the fall. But it is not grumbling or moaning about its pain, it is groaning with hope. Paul here uses the imagery of childbirth and because of the fall, Childbirth now is one of the most painful experiences a human can go through. Yet every day, expectant mothers push through that pain because they have assurance of the joy of a child on the other side. Because they know the glorious future with that child, they have assurance, they endure the pain. And that's what creation is doing here. It's probably worth clarifying what that groaning Paul's talking about here is. Groaning is, is the opposite of moaning when faced with suffering. A groan is, is a longing for a better future in the face of suffering. Whereas a moan is longing for a better present regardless of the suffering. Forgetting the future, feeling the pain and wishing it would stop. Creation groans because it has hope. That hope is a confidence that the future will be every bit as good as it has been promised. That's the groaning of creation. A deep longing for the day of its freedom. A deep frustration that it isn't yet free. A great yearning for the curse to be lifted so that it can bring glory to God the way it was made to. That's why it's cheering us on. That's why it's craning its neck in eager expectation. Longing for the day when God will bring this present age to a close and bring us to glory. Well, that's Paul's first big proof that the glory to come is worth the present suffering. The whole of creation is groaning. Groaning for the day. For the day to come. Cheering us on. Longing for its freedom. But in our passage, it's not just creation groaning. Christians groan too. Christians groan for the glory to come. Because it's not just Christians that experience this frustration with our current situation. It's, have a look at verse 23. Paul says, not only so, not just creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It's not just creation that's frustrated as Christians we live in the now but not yet we have a foot in each world we have the first fruits the down payment of the spirit we know all the glorious truths that we've been seeing in Romans so far are true for us we've trusted in Jesus we have crossed over from death to life the threat of condemnation has been lifted 
God has set up his home in us through his spirit. We have renewed minds set on the spirit. We can now desire the things that God desires. We can now live lives that please God. We have been adopted into sonship. We're victorious. We're co-heirs with Christ. We know the future that is awaiting us. And we just want to get on and live that glorious life, don't we? And yet, and yet we still live in bodies of death. We still live in a world of suffering and toil and hardships. We still experience death and decay, sickness and sorrow. We live with frustration at every turn. Work is hard. People let us down. We live in a world where so often the enemies of God look to have the upper hand, where evil seems to prosper and where goodness gets trampled. We still battle sin at every moment of our lives and far too often we seem to lose. If it feels like I've just described your life, take heart. That's the life we all live now. Do you feel it? Do you feel that tension? We know the future that God has prepared for us. We know how glorious and good it will be. We know that we're living the best life now, trusting Jesus, and yet it is still so very hard. It is still so very frustrating. It is still so very invisible. We have the Spirit at work in us as the guarantee, as the down payment for it. But every time we wake up, the day before us often looks anything but glorious. Brothers and sisters, if that's your life right now, take heart. That's how we're meant to feel in this present age. That deep groaning and yearning for Jesus' unveiling. For the day when we will be vindicated, when we will be proved right for trusting Jesus. For the day when we will not just have the spirit of adoption, but the adoption of our physical bodies as well. When our adoption as God's children will no longer be hidden, but will be evident to all. That feeling is a great proof when we groan that we know that the glory to come is worth it, that we were made for more than this life. And so as Paul says, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for that coming day. We know what is coming, and so we wait patiently in hope. Have a look at those last couple of verses, verse 24. Paul says, For in this hope... We were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Hope, by its very nature, is future looking. We can't hope for something we already have. We can't say, I'm really looking forward, I'm really hoping about my holiday, when we're already living it and on holiday. It doesn't work like that. And the fact that we hope shows us again that there is a future to look forward to. But we need to be careful here, because so often we use the word hope in ways that mean very different things. I hope it's going to be sunny for a holiday. I hope I'll get a pay rise at work this year. I hope I'll be able to pay for the food shop this week. 
I hope I'll pass my exams. I hope I'll get the present that I really want for my birthday. Often when we use the word hope, we're talking about things that are wishful thinking. But Christian hope is different. Hope is a confidence that the future will be just as good as it has been promised. It is a certain settled knowledge of the future. Because all of the work to bring it about has already happened in the past. As Paul says, in this hope we were saved. Our hope for the future is grounded in the past when Jesus has already died for our sin. He has already been put to death. He has already taken the punishment that we deserve. God has already given us the Spirit, adopted us as his children, given us an internal inheritance. And so we patiently wait. Because we can't see those things now, which tells us that when we do get little glimpses of glory, when we do get the joy of gathering together as a church family, gathering together to sing God's praises, that is just a foretaste of the glory to come. To think that those glimpses of joy we see in our world now are the main event is to just miss the mark. Those glimpses of joy are like candles shining in the darkness. But to think that the candle is all there is, is to forget that the dawn is coming when God's glory will blaze forth like the sun. And so as Christians... We wait, patiently, eagerly, longingly. We endure the hardships and struggles of this life as we follow the path of our crucified Saviour Jesus for a little while. And we groan. We long for the day when the struggles will be over, when the battle with sin will be done, when we will stand victorious with Christ in his new creation. This is one of the big things that sets Christians apart. Because we know God, because we have seen and followed Jesus' path, we know the future awaiting us. So we can lift our eyes. We can lift our eyes and see the sufferings of this present age in their context. And so we can face the sufferings of our world and in our lives with hope. I know that can often be hard to hear. And Paul's going to continue to help us think through what that means in next week's passage, as he shows us how God is using every element and aspect of our lives to bring about and prepare us for that day to come, when our adoption to sonship is finally revealed, when our bodies will be fully redeemed, when the suffering and the struggles and the hardship and the pain of this life will be left behind us. And so, brothers and sisters, our job is to wait, to endure it in patient, certain hope of the coming future. Our job is to groan, to grow ever more dissatisfied with this world and what it has to offer. Our job is to cry out to God, how long, O Lord, as we look forward, as we yearn for the day when this present age will be over and Jesus will be revealed in all his glory and we will stand alongside him. Our job is to press on in our walk with Jesus, following the path of our crucified Saviour through any and all trials in our way, because we know that the glorious path now is to suffer now 
and receive that eternal glory later. And that is how we can share in Paul's convictions that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Christians through the ages have come to rejoice in this truth. Consider Horatio Spafford. He was an American Christian from Chicago in the States. 150 years ago, he was prosperous and successful. He had a loving family. But then the Great Fire of Chicago came and wiped out his business, wiped out all his wealth. While he was dealing with the aftermath of that, the struggles to get his life back in order, he sent his family on to England ahead of him. During that voyage, their ship sank, killing all four of his daughters. His wife barely escaped with her life. Such sorrow, such hardship, such loss. And yet, as Horatio traveled to meet his grieving wife, he's penned these words we know well. In the song, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. He finishes that song, but Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, a song in the night, O my soul. Horatio Spafford agreed with Paul. He knew Jesus. He knew these truths well, as have so many Christians throughout the ages. This hope is what sets our course through life. It lifts our eyes from despair and onto the day of glory to come. Well, let's conclude. God has a glorious future in store for us as Christians. A future so wonderful that the hardest, deepest suffering we face in this present life is not worth comparing it to. Do you agree with Paul this morning? Do you see that following the path of our crucified Saviour really is worth it? If we're Christians here this morning, how are we facing the trials and struggles we're under? Suffering is an ordinary part of the Christian life. But what do we do with it? So often the temptation I see in my own heart is to moan, to complain about the situation I'm in, the struggles I'm facing, to think that life shouldn't be this hard. The world around us is, is constantly telling us, isn't it, that we're wrong to trust Jesus. We're wrong to push through the pain and hardship of life trying to tell us that there is an easier way without Christ. Brothers and sisters, we need to reject those thoughts, to acknowledge our suffering to God and to trust him in the suffering now. We need to keep lifting our eyes to Jesus each day. As the words another hymn writer wrote says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Saviour and life more abundant and free. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face 
And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Because we know, we know the future that God has in store for us. We do not suffer in vain. Our suffering is not meaningless. The certain hope that we have shapes our lives now. The hardships of this life are all there to push us on. And so we need not be discouraged when we suffer. We need not be discouraged when life gets hard. Because the hardships of this world cause us to feel the frustration of not being physically in glory yet. So let us groan for the day to come when the pain and the suffering and the hardship and the death will all be over. When we will rejoice in the new creation with Jesus in perfect relationship. And let us encourage each other with this hope. Encourage each other to keep turning our worldly moans into godly groans as we cry, come Lord Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you aren't yet a Christian, I hope you've seen the goodness of God. It's not hard to look at the world around us and see that it is hard to see that the world's not right, to see that the people are not right. It's easy to moan about that and to complain about that. But moaning is groaning with no hope. Can you see how wonderful the future that awaits those who trust Jesus truly is? If so, can I invite you to turn your moaning into groaning and take hold of the hope held out to us in Jesus? It won't be an easy path. It won't it will be hard at every turn, but it is, a, it is a certain path, and the victory has already been guaranteed us. God will complete his work, and that day will be a great day, a day when God's glory will be revealed, and the glory of the sons of God will be revealed, and the creation will be set free. Well, let's pray together now. Father God, thank you for saving us. Thank you that because of your work through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can have full assurance of the glory that awaits us as your children. Father, as we face sufferings on the path to glory, please keep lifting our eyes in hope for the glory ahead. Father, please keep strengthening our hope, keep lifting our struggles to you. Please help us to keep pushing on as we follow the path you've set for us towards glory. Father, please give us endurance in the trials as we patiently wait for the day when there will be no more pain, no more sadness, no more death. Father God, please grow our hope, we pray, that we might boldly share our resurrection hope with all those around us as it bubbles up out of us and spreads out into the world. Please, Father, would many, many more people put their trust in Jesus as the only rock of salvation in our world. We pray this in the name of your Son and our brother Jesus. Amen. Well, our final song this morning causes us to reflect again.